You're listening to Fair Game with your host, Robert Smith. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Fair Game Podcast. Really hope you're enjoying season three of the show. We got a good one for you today. Our guest today has become one of the most versatile and hardest working entertainers in the industry. He's played as a single artist and with the full band. He's done everything from small clubs to main stages, opening act to headliner, from cowboy church to wineries and beer gardens. There's nothing this guy is not doing. He's known for giving a show that's not just enjoyed, but remembered. He joins us today from Hermiston, Oregon. Folks, this is Kale Moon. Kale, welcome to the show. Now, thanks for having me. Well, I'm glad we could connect, man, because it feels like it's been like 10 years since we've seen each other. It does. I mean, this last decade, you know, during the COVID. <laughs> it's the COVID decade. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but you're doing well now. You do quite a bit of uh, quite a bit there as a country music artist. Tell us about your show. My show is <laughs> a well-tethered loose cannon, if that makes any sense. Well-tethered um, loose cannon. All right, man. Lay it on me. Band. Everything is extremely well scripted. Everything is down to the letter. When I'm by myself, the crowd is in control. So I don't I, I make a little bit of what I'm going to do, especially what I'm going to talk about with the fair, what their sponsors are. But for the most part, if the crowd is anywhere within earshot toward where we can have kind of a dialogue going, I'll just let them take control of the show and we'll have a good time from there. So you nice. never know. Now, how long do you typically play for? It depends on what people want. You know, I can do anything from a 45 minute set, which I call a short show. And we can go all the way up to like, I did five hours in Chinook, Montana a few years ago. Five and hours? It, yeah. You're out of your mind. <laughs> how do your, how do your vocal cords survive that? I mean, that's, that's brutal it's it's difficult um but i train for it so in fact no okay okay hold on i'm gonna call you out on that how do you train for it? you just sit there in that garage yours or at home and just sing for five straight hours just to practice <laughs> not quite uh, it's <laughs> with the uh i mean yes yes that is totally what i do and everybody looking to take my place just by all means sing for five hours in a garage with a demon behind you that's that's all it is that's a cool looking car behind you, man. For if you guys are just listening, it's a it's yellow. What now? What kind of vehicle is it? This is a 1970. Let's see if I move the right direction. Uh, Dodge 340 Demon. This was the the Dodge Dart Demon. The Dodge yeah. Dart Demon. That's a cool looking ride, man. It looks like a uh, a version of Bumblebee on steroids. It really does. <laughs> pretty much it'll do an 11 second quarter mile it's it's pretty fast wow i don't think i can do a 30 second quarter mile like well i don't know my f-150 is pretty good but it didn't like that thing i mean that thing looks like it was built for to just tear tear up the asphalt oh yeah you, you see the the big slicks on the back of here yeah it's, i was noticing see, that it it's not great for a daily commuter <laughs> not great gas mileage on that one huh no well, listen, back to uh, back to country music. I'm curious, who's your favorite country artist? Josh Turner, hands down. Josh Turner. Excellent. Now, is, that, is, is he what got you into country music? Or, or how, did, how did you uh, get the inspiration to decide to be a country music artist? 
Ah, that's kind of a funny story. So I grew up in an extremely conservative household and my parents removed pretty much any pop culture from our, our daily life. So very secluded, very insulated, not necessarily isolated, but um, I was brought up on a lot of classical symphonies and Ooh. just extremely um, alienated from anything to do with anything pop culture. In fact, until I was 12 years old, I had no idea who Elvis Presley was. Wow. But when I was 11 years old, I started listening to country music a little bit more. And I just loved the fact that it was stories about my people. You know, the, the, the being a seventh generation cattle rancher and the son of a long haul truck driver, hard work has always been a big part of of my upbringing and so hearing songs that glorified the everyday life that's kind of what really spoke to me about country music so started getting into that when I was 11 years old and kind of never really looked back yeah nothing else really spoke to me the way country music did that's cool and you know what I come from uh my background in music I've always been a Motown guy like you know, gotcha. Temptations, Four Tops, Boys to Men, all that. Like, I love Motown music. But you hit the nail on the head. There's something about country music. Those are songs from, you know, the average salt-of-the-earth folks, the, you know, the heart of America, that you can't deny it. Like, if you, if you can deny all of country music, then you ain't got a soul. Like, there's country music speaks to people like you and me, big time. Indeed. And I think there's a place for, for all music, but... You know, Gary Allen once said that, you know, your, your pop and your rock and roll, that's the weekend. And country, that's Monday through Thursday. <laughs> I like it. That's a good way of looking at it. And how many, how many shows do you perform in annually? Uh, it fluctuates. You know, back in 2014 and 15, I was doing 300 shows a year. And uh, here this year, I'm be doing about 120. That's probably not bad for the COVID recovery year. You know, you got like, I think everybody's still down this year on, uh, on revenue. Um, very few artists do I know, probably less than 5% of them are, are at or above pre-COVID levels. Um, yeah, I know I'm probably still down 40%, but that's a hell of a lot better than what I was last year. <laughs> you know what I mean? There was um, so I think 120 is probably still pretty damn respectable for uh, what we've dealt with. Um, now, when you travel, do you stay mostly in your region or are you going nationwide? Nationwide, coast to coast. So coast I to coast. Started January, spent a couple months in Kentucky, and now it's, everything's lighting up this summer, and it's mostly out west for the first time in a couple of years. Got it. So you're a little closer to home this time around. Yeah. And now when you travel, you're, you're going out, you're playing your country music, you're traveling in that RV tour bus years. How's that work out for you? Oh, I love it. I've been living on that thing for going on nine years now. And it was supposed to be like a four-year interim plan. And right. that's, that's gone according to the original plan. <laughs> now, tell us about that rig years. Because I remember years ago when you got in, you're showing it, you were so excited about it um it like how long is it? is it it looks like it's a pretty good size rig it's a 40 foot um so it's it's definitely no van but 
like the doo-wah riders, they ride around in a 45, so they call mine the short bus, which, knowing me... Kale <laughs> rides the short bus. <laughs> Those doo-wahs, I tell you what. Uh, That's funny. They're good guys. You keep in touch with them often? I do, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Ken and Lindsay and those guys, I really, uh, I enjoy them. Um, you know, I need to get them on the show. Ken, Lindsay, you guys, if you're listening, let's get you guys on the show. Let's take Kenny. a quick peek, quick peek back at uh, at 2020, man. I don't think any of us saw that coming. Um, they did. They forgot to warn us. No kidding. And you know, people made that joke with me before because I do the Conjure Fortune Machine. They're like, "Weren't shouldn't you've tipped us off? Shouldn't you've known this was coming?" And I'm like, malfunctioning little scrap pile. You know, <laughs> I should have known. The Fortune Machine should have known. Uh, so were you able to play any shows last year? Not very many. I mean, there was a couple up in Montana, um, a few here and there in, in Oregon and Idaho. Idaho was really good to me last year. Yeah. Um, but you know, a lot of rural shows where people, you know, they had no idea social distancing was never a thing before. Right. And, um, but for the most part, like last summer, it threw me such a huge curveball not having anything that I threw all my effort into producing basically an amateur TV show once a week and just trying to keep my music in the fans' uh, purview. And boy, that was something I, I have no idea what I'm not capable of until I try it. And... Did you figure out what you were not capable of? Yeah. (laughs) I have no fear factor. And the work that went into producing one one hour show every week was so beyond draining. I would rather work two five hour shows a day for the rest of my life (laughs) than do that show with my three man crew. Wow. It, It. fun it was a challenge and i would gladly do it again if i could afford to hire a couple more people to help me do it but i hear you on that that's how i've been with the podcast because i like i'm ambitious and so when i first started it was like i'm just gonna do 20 episodes and then i kind of looked at the calendar and i was like you know i could round it out to 30 and it would finish right before um like december 23rd right before christmas we'd be done and then over christmas break like the florida state fair delayed their dates and and all these delays were happening. And I was like, well, Sarah and I looked at each other going, we need to keep doing the show. And I'm like, five days a week that I've been doing it. Like, that's a lot. Like, there's some weeks that back then that I was recording 15 episodes uh, or 12 to 15 episodes a week so that I could spread them out and stay a few weeks ahead. And, um, you know, I think this this year with, with season three, we just made the decision yesterday. And, and of course, uh, you know, on on today when we're recording june 7th the the first show devin vaughn from the colorado state fair debuted we decided instead of five days a week we're going to go three days it's just not not realistic to continue going at five days a week especially when in just a few weeks i start my summer i go out to iowa then i go back out to oc fair and then i got the new mexico state fair and before you know it i'm in october like you blink in october's here and i'm like I'm not going to have time to maintain five days a week. It's just, and it's a good thing. It's like, it's a good reason to not have time to do it because I'm actually back out on the road. And so I get you when you say just the one hour show a week, that's a lot of effort to put into that. Yeah. And you know, people think, you know, you just sit in front of the mic and you do whatever, but 
what takes all the time, you know, with especially this podcast, you do such a great job with the production and everything. And just the amount of time that goes into making the thumbnails for every episode. Yes. I was very lucky. My, uh, my nephew um, is an incredible graphic designer and he designed a blank for me. So all I have to do is go into Photoshop and change the name of that episode number. But when the folks, like when you send me your image, I still got to go get in and cut the background out. And, and every now and then I get somebody that I get so excited because they have like the professional shot that's in studio on a white background. And I'm like, awesome. Oh, Let oh, me geez. just click delete background one click. And then I realize their tie is white or their pocket is white or something. <laughs> and it kills that too. And I'm all, I have to go take out every pixel. I have to go trace around the side to do it. I thought I had a one click and it was done. And it was like, nope. <laughs> so. I hadn't thought of that man yeah it's it's uh it's a challenge i we definitely uh we definitely enjoy doing it um i i will my plan is to take it right up to iefe this year and then it will be done um at least in this kind of format because i think by iefe we're going to be pretty well past the pandemic um even if covid may still i mean covid's always the virus is always going to be out there to some extent um but i my sense is by by Thanksgiving, this country is going to be pretty well open. And so that'll be, I think it'll be a good segue to be done with it. The whole purpose of the podcast was to, you know, share people's story from the pandemic. And if the pandemic's ending, we're moving on. You know what I mean? Yeah. So other than doing this show um, that, that you put together, how else, how did you handle navigating the pandemic? I mean, there's, there had to be a moment. Let's, let's, let me ask you that. What was the moment that you realized, oh, this is not going to be like a few weeks or a month. This is going to be long term and that sucks. What was that moment like? That moment was April 2nd. And I found out that the final 30 grand in contracts from the 40,000 that I had booked canceled. Mm. And you know, I guess that's a pretty big number. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> no I was lie. 20 was going to be my year. I was really looking forward to that in 2019. And like everybody else, 2020 was not my year. Yeah. But like I said, I have no fear factor. So every, right. uh, it, it, some people, like even my crew, they joke because I'm not intelligent enough to have be afraid. So just not intelligent enough to be afraid. I like that, Kale. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> If I knew what was actually going on, I might be slightly concerned, but <laughs> I like to solve problems too much. And so everything that comes up, it's just, well, how do we get through this? What's the battle plan? And so there was never really a moment of, of terror, like, oh, no, what are we going to do? It's like, well, how do we do this? Sure. And sure. so it, it kind of leveled the playing field and gave me a bit of a leg up. In all like honesty, because, you know, you have guys with mega millions of budget that all of a sudden were cut down to the same exact um, resources as me because they couldn't get to anybody. They couldn't use their crews. And so now everybody from Brad Paisley to Kale Moon is now connecting to their fans using an iPhone. Right. And so I'm like, okay, this gives me an edge because now I can level up and try and make something more entertaining than just staring at my phone. And so 
it gave me an opportunity to learn a lot of stuff that I've always wanted to, but never really had the opportunity to fully jump into until I had to. So having that, that extra production ability and just throwing myself into learning, it was tiring, but I got addicted to it really quickly. And so I'm literally looking forward to blending all my pandemic knowledge with now being back to kind of pre-pandemic reality of, of being able to play live shows again. So I'm sure. looking forward to hybridize those two skill sets. And It was definitely a, a hell of an experience that we went through. I mean, I don't think we're completely out of it yet. I, I still think we probably got a little ways to go um, before things return to normal, but I am, you know, God, I'm grateful for the technology, for all that our, our, the tech companies and, and iPhones and, and social media get, get vilified. I couldn't help through that entire process of being locked down here in New Mexico. Think back to the folks in 1918 and 1919 during that pandemic. They had, they only could talk to their, there was only their neighbors. That was it. There was, there was no internet. There weren't like, you weren't doing long distance phone calls and video chat, like none of that. You were isolated. We, you know, sometimes I think that it's, I laugh at what I, I perceive as problems because, and maybe it's a little bit like you, you're, you know, you, you have no fear factor, but I laugh at sometimes at the things that we think are problems. I'm like, we're literally complaining about our problems on, on a $3,000 MacBook pro holding a $1,000 iPhone while we've got electricity, hot and cold running water, modern plumbing, all the food in a giant refrigerator and a full tank of gas. Like what we we're complaining about problems that we don't actually have. You know what I mean? Exactly. And that's, that's one thing where I love, you know, this is, this is my uncle's car behind me and growing up with stuff like this. Um, it, it's, it's great to have the nostalgia because I mean, it's cool. But when you drive old cars, it makes you so appreciate new cars because you can get in it and know that when you turn the steering wheel, you're going to turn. <laughs> yeah, the and old ones. You kind of like, had to keep turning and turning and turning to get that wheel going. Exactly. And so when you grow up on old cars, old trucks, and even old houses, you you become so much more appreciative of everything we have. Yes. So, you know, like having this conversation right now on my phone. Yes. Tell that to somebody 20 years ago. Yes. With equipment, by the way, that could easily produce a show just as good as Joe Rogan's or CNN or any, any, any major network on the planet that's affordable. Exactly. Like, really? This, you can do this 20 years ago. This wasn't happening. We got soft, Kale. Our, our culture in the United States, and I don't know, probably worldwide, but I can definitely speak to the United States, we're soft. We have we are gotten very, soft. We have everything we need to be amazing at everything we do. And, and we use it to complain about politics. Exactly. <laughs> I think we can be more productive with, our, uh, with the tools we have, uh, have in front of us. Oh man, yeah. listen. So we're now uh, back on track. We, I, I digress. We're now um, 
halfway through 2021. It's June 7th when we're recording this. We're officially uh, right on one year and three months into 15 days to flatten the curve. How'd that work out for us? What's the rest? What's the rest of your? What's that? Kind of like my four-year plan that I'm nine years into right now. Exactly. So, what's the rest of your year look like uh, schedule-wise? It's looking really good. Like this is the best summer I've had in a couple of years, and I'm just I'm stoked to be out on the road again. I'm stoked to be playing shows and. Yep. Next, I think I have 11 shows for June and I'd have to check again for July, but it's just like, there's hardly more than a day or two in between a lot of them. And it's going to be a busy summer. And, you know, unlike back when I was doing 300 shows, you know, I was, you know, when I was working in Nashville for a little bit. So we do two, three, sometimes four, four hour shifts a day. And uh, I'm not doing that anymore. I would rather do three shows a week that were something to remember than three shows a day that are easily forget. That's a really good point. And you're not the first person to, uh, to mention something like that. Um, you know, I've talked to some other folks in the industry that for years have tried to can, especially for major shows, like for affairs, like it's one thing to be a grounds act like conjure and you do three or four a day. Like that's pretty typical. If you're the little, you know, you juggle or you just, you know, you're in a strolling costume or something like that. But um, for some of the, the bigger shows, um, I know one that comes to mind right away, who's for years has tried to get fairs to go to two shows a day. And there's a, there's a perception that more shows is more value. And, and this, this act is the, his belief is, you know, would you rather have um, two shows with 200 people each at them where it's packed, or would you rather do four shows with 80 to 100 people at each of them? Well, obviously the more people you get at a given show, the more energy, the more people talk about it, the more like it just changes the dynamic of the show. No different than the one you're talking about. You know, you go do three or four really great shows a week, you're in good. You're doing three or four shows a day. And it's just, I think it's a matter, it's a matter of energy level. You know, there's a certain point during that week, if you're doing three or four every day, that by Thursday, you're like, man, I'm running out of gas and I'm not even to the main crew yet. You know, the main main shows yet on Friday night. Exactly. And, you know, if you can get a good crowd, like at the really big fairs, you can kind of keep that adrenaline going and that energy. But for a lot of the smaller rural ones, like you got one shot to impress these people. Right. And if somebody's running on low energy in their third show of the day out of five, mm-hmm. then What's the fifth one going to look like that one are going to tell all their friends. This guy's not really that great. Sure. Yeah. I'd rather I, for, for an act like yours for a music act or, or for some of the stage shows that I see in on the grounds, I'd rather see them do two, maybe three, where they can really put all their energy into it. But um, when you start going four, five, six shows a day, I mean, granted, pig races tend to be the exception because their show's like, what, 14 or 15 minutes long. It's quick. But even even then, it's just like... Even if they're on a script, animals never get old. Yeah. Yeah, animals are cool. Yeah, I, I just I, I really I agree with you there, though. I think that the the more energy a performer can bring to it and and there's a balance between what how much value are we delivering as entertainers and how much 
energy are we expending in order to do that in order to, to give a really good quality show and I don't know about you but my focus whenever I show up on a fairgrounds is always you know whether my shows are like at OC fair I love my schedule there I'm at one three and five one three and five I get there at noon and I'm leaving by six before the major crowd to get there. I'm literally driving away to massive traffic jams to get into the fair. And I'm like, have a wonderful evening at the fair. And they do that for a reason with their grounds acts, because if that fair gets so packed after about six 30, so packed shoulder to shoulder, you could not push conjure machine on or offset. I would be stuck all night long. And it's the yeah. same for the juggler or the, you know, the dragon knights or whoever, like you can't navigate the crowd. It's not safe. So I will take that schedule, but whether it's that schedule or whether my first show is at noon and my last show is at 7 PM, I have to figure out a way to deliver a great show for the fairs. Exactly. And th there can't be an ego once we show up. And that's oh, come on now. There's an ego when we show up. We're entertainers, for God's sake. You're you're just being you're trying to be humble right now. But I know, Kale, we're all entertainers. <laughs> we are, but that's one of the biggest things. Is you know, I learned, unfortunately, in the most humbling way possible. Which, unfortunately, the root word of humble is humility, and humility. it is you come out and like me, young cocky kid, thought I was the best thing since sliced bread. I'm still all right. But you come out, you have the greatest show possible at 19, get real. But you go out there and then the first crowd thinks you're amazing. Next crowd, same exact show. Two people already saw it and they kill the energy. Happens. And so trying to keep the show fresh was one thing, but what I learned very quickly is that once I set foot on that stage, I cannot be my focus. It's totally. for the people out there. And so, you know, that's when I was doing as many shows as I possibly could, it was somewhat of a vanity thing because I wanted to say, I am the hardest working guy in the industry, but what was I really accomplishing? Well, and what does that even mean? Yeah. It, it becomes a semantic game very yep. quickly. Yep, sure does. And having 300 shows that people are like, what was that kid's name? Isn't quite as, well, it's nowhere near as beneficial to either me and especially the fair, which right. fairs have a hard time, especially in rural areas of even knowing if they're going to have a fair next year. Every, every year is a, a struggle with the budget to find out okay, do we survive or not? Yep. And so as a contractee of the fair, it's my job to make sure that people want to come back tomorrow and indeed next year. Mm -hmm. So every time they come to see Kale Moon, every time they see The Conjurer, it creates an experience that we have to sell as something positive, not as something as flushable as a 4 a.m. infomercial. Yes. Yeah, like you say, it doesn't matter whether you do one show or you do a thousand shows. If they don't remember who you are, you're not gonna, you're not going to do many more shows, you know. And changing it up, what's crazy is that the expectations that people have. If yeah. they come to you and they they let's say they see you at at 
six o'clock and then they're going to come back to your 830 show. They expect something different. They loved you enough. They loved what you did enough that they're going to come back, but they don't want you to do what they just loved. Meanwhile, if they saw Garth Brooks 10 years ago and they go see him today, they want him to sing the exact same songs because they want to hear the dance in Friends in Low Places. They want the exact same. But for Kale Moon, well, he played his same songs. Well, no kidding. They're his songs. <laughs> Speaking of which, how do you – what's your approach when you're, writing, when you're writing music? Like what is it that inspires you to write, write a song? Honestly, it's everyday life, you know country music is all about telling a good story right sure and girls and girls and beer and the lake and fishing and trucks yeah got it exactly and so as a songwriter being in the fair industry is some of the best songwriting fodder you can possibly get oh i bet the fairs are so packed with great stories you know all you have to do is walk through a couple of the uh, 4-H and FFA barns and you get highs and lows like you would not believe. Right. Some kids falling because they just figured out that when they sell their steer, he's never coming back. That's heartbreak. Yeah. Some kid just won their first blue ribbon. They're on top of the world. Right. So you just take those individual stories and maybe those aren't the best moments for putting in a song. But capturing that emotion and then following that up with any kind of, of unique story is what really drives me. So a lot of my songwriting happens between one and four in the morning when my brain falls asleep and my emotions really take over. And so I'm, I'm completely uninhibited by what I think. Yeah. And I can go completely into it. I don't recommend living my normal business hour life like that that gets me in a lot of trouble <laughs> but when writing songs like i wrote one about my first truck that i had to sell i had that thing for 17 years my dad bought it when i was a little kid and it's just a hunk of steel but to me that was part of my legacy it was your memory so i started playing the song that i wrote the day that I sold it about watching it drive away and all the emotions that just hit me all at once. Like my dad bought it when I was a kid. He taught me how to drive in that truck. I learned everything that I know about cars working on that 81 F250. And then all the aspirations I had of one day handing the keys to it to my son. Right. Sudden, you know, I'm watching all those dreams drive away. Mm -hmm. And it's such, I mean, it's an inanimate thing. It doesn't matter in the long run. But all the emotions that were attached to it, when I sing that song at fairs, there is no car loving dude in the audience with a dry eye. I bet. It's like we talked about earlier in the show. It there's something about country music. It tells our stories. It tells that salt of the earth story for those, you know, the salt of the earth folks, you know, the Midwest, the Southwest, the Southeast, like those people that they put in a good hard day's work. They can relate to that. 
there is yeah. a relatability. Like literally when you talked about your dad's truck and when you, and then yours, and then when he finally had to sell it, my, the instant image I had in my head was the RV that I grew up in. My dad's 1977 coachman leprechaun. It was Ooh. little 23 foot, you know, nothing compared to what they build today. But I remember when, you know, my sister and I, we'd grown up and moved out and my parents were like, you know, we're going to upgrade our RV. So we have something nice for when we retire. And so they got rid of it. And there was just something that was like, uh, wait a minute, hold up. And every now and then something happens where the smell, I, I smell something and I'm back in that RV instantly. So when you said that, I instantly was like, I remember that I know exactly what it's feeling. Cause it's like, what? but, the, uh, but that was my childhood. You know, that's gone. You got those memories that'll be with you forever, but it's so, so much more bitter in that moment when you remember it because it's, it's gone. Yeah. And there's a song in it. There's a song to be written about it. Yeah. That's why so many country songs, like, you know, people joke about, and, and even I alluded to before, like country songs, it's, it's girls and beer and trucks and fishing. Yeah, yeah, but that's these that for those people who really relate, that's their life. That really matters to them. And that's why these that's why country music is so special. Indeed. It's it's so it's about real life. Right. And so not to get too far into inside baseball, but being able to be out with the fans and really close and talk to them after the shows, what a lot of them have got disgruntled with country music over the last few years is it's gotten so watered down in an attempt to be appealable to more people. Yeah, because they tried to make it pop. Uh-huh. And me getting wise to the shell game that the labels have been playing for a few years, you watch the sales numbers. They're nowhere near what they used to be. Oh, sure. And so, and in artists like Cody Jinks and Coffey Anderson, who you've had on your show, yeah, they're selling signed label artists because yep. they're still singing songs about us. Yeah, I'm sorry, but when Coffee Anderson strums the guitar and says, I saw you in Walmart, everybody in that crowd can relate to that. Oh, everybody yeah. can relate to that. Listen, there's a reason that, that George Strait, if you, for a country artist, if you're like, okay, you can go see, you know, the new kind of punk pop country person, or you can see George Strait. George Strait will win 100% of the time. Every time. Because that man knows how to sing a song that that resonates with people. He's not really my kind of country, but for a country artist and for people that fans of country, like he he's a classic guy. Like he's he's never going anywhere. He will always be one of the kings of country. Same with Garth. Same with a lot of these folks. But then you get some of these, the more pop, you know, like Florida Georgia Line. Like they're pop country. They're fun, and then they're done. Yeah. You know? kind of respect fgl because they invented bro country and yeah in a way they did for sure yeah exactly and so my problem with them recently is they kind of forgot they invented the genre and started following the tales of people who came up behind them (laughs) maybe they didn't intend to i don't know right like with george Strait, when you go to a george Strait show when you buy that ticket you know what you're going to see. And as an artist, you really want to change it up. Like I have such horrible ADD. I can't do the same thing twice. 
but the fans expect a certain level of continuity. Yes. So when they see a guy showing up in jeans and a cowboy hat, they expect to hear a cowboy song at some point. And does that make me a punchline of a lot of jokes? Yes. But does that sell a lot of tickets for what I am? Also, yes. And so having to keep that level head of, oh, I got to change it up. I got to be fresh. You'll never know where I am. That's a good way to go broke. I think so. Yeah. And that's, I think that's one of the keys is, is offering consistency. When you look at somebody like Garth for all the albums he did, with the exception of the whole Chris Gaines thing, that was kind of weird, but all the other stuff he did, like he didn't deviate, like his songs changed his maturity and writing and whatnot and, and who his writers were and who he worked with changed, but you yeah. still got Garth every time he came on stage. Same with Cafe. He's got a bunch of different albums out. It's always Cafe when he rolls out there. You know what you're going to get. Same with Kale Moon. You know what you're going to get. Uh, and I think that consistency, I think the I think fans really value that because then they can get the songs that they really like. And then when you sprinkle a little something a little new in there, if they're really down with it, cool. If they're not quite vibing with it, they still love you because you gave them what they really wanted. Exactly. That's it. I should be a country music, music artist. I got this whole game figured out, Kale. I got it figured out. Just be consistent. I couldn't play guitar. If literally, if you were threatening my child's life and I had to play the guitar, I he ain't gonna make it. I couldn't. I can't do that. I'm not a guitar guy. Um, so we're getting down towards running out of time here. But a uh, couple more questions for you. What advice would you give a new performer who was looking to break into the fair market or break into country music specifically? Let me see if I can sum this up in a, a time efficient way. Don't be afraid to be a fair artist. When people come into the fair industry, they think they can do what they've done in a nightclub. It doesn't work. And so like. He's got a fly attacking him in the, in the garage. <laughs> he doesn't like my advice. <laughs> um. So don't be afraid to be a fair artist. Yeah, it's it's a very specific crowd that comes to a fair. Like they might be the same people that are going to show up to a bar after the show, but you can't give the same show that you would in a bar at a fairgrounds. We have to keep it number one family friendly. Best advice I ever got was from a fair promoter that hired I won't say who it was, but very famous Motown artist, very staunch political views. You can probably figure out who that is. Um, they paid extra for his family-friendly show. He forgot. Drop the F-bomb, third word. Oh, wow. That left a very big mark on me because I knew the promoter, I knew the booking agent, and they were all just floored. Yeah. And so, and I still like the guy. I'd go hunting with him any day of the week, but I can't go and like, I make sure that all my shows, even at the bars are family friendly because I don't ever want to get into a point where, you know, I smack my head before a show at a fair and all of a sudden I have no control over what I'm saying. I want to make sure I'm trained Right. can happen to derail me and some poor kid gets a really really 
bad show that his parents have to explain to him a lot of things they hadn't planned on for years. Right. And well, so, and if you're doing, if you do you the very best you possible at all times, you don't have to go that route. If you're not, no, like, listen, you, you, I see fairs bring in people like, you know, uh, I don't know, Snoop Dogg or, or somebody that you, you know what you're, you know what you're buying. You exactly. don't get to get disappointed and criticize if he smokes weed on stage or if he drops F bomb. Like, you know what you booked. Exactly. You know what you booked, you know. Signed that contract when it was done. They right. knew it putting in front of the fans. Right. It's like if you book if you book you or if you book Cafe or if you book, a, you know, and all of a sudden, like, if one of you guys, if you were Cafe showed up on stage and dropped the F-bomb, I would look at Sarah and be like, what just happened? Yeah. I'd be like, what? Because <laughs> that's not you guys. And your fans like you, not the whole – I'm, you know, I can curse and I'm tough too. They don't want that. Like we want the fun, you know, country guy who's going to have a cheesy joke now and then who's going to crack a smile and make everybody feel good. That's what we want to see as, as you're in your audience. Exactly. And so knowing who the audience is, knowing what we've been contracted to do, it's like I said, it's an ego deflator going into the fairs because we can't just be all there for us. We have to put on a show that number one, keeps the fair running year to year and makes people want to come see our show again. Yep. And so playing the fairs, it's unlike anything else. So if I'm, if there's one thing I could go back and tell myself years ago, it's to know what I'm going to be as a fair artist. If I'm going to make it in this industry first, I have to be a, fair worthy artist if i don't in the fairs there are other ways to come up and then someday you can still get booked at the bigger fairs sure but i'm not going to go very far in the fair industry if i'm not willing to be a fairgrounds act yeah it is a different ball of wax it is definitely a little a little different and you know i've had even people suggest to me in the past um oh conjure would be so cool i'm having this corporate event and uh you know, this is kind of, can you do some rowdy stuff with our, our CEO, or can you say something, this, that, or the other? And, um, like I've done, I've done corporate events for, with Conjure, um, but there's a limit. Conjure is not going to make, you know, Conjure doesn't make overt sexual or, you know, um, jokes. Um, you you know, Conjure can be flirty, um, but Conjure is not going to be like overtly sexual. And I've had people ask me that, oh, can you, you got to embarrass our, our, our marketing director. This is what you have to say. And it's something that I'm like, that's not the character. I'm not, this is, this is what I'm willing to go to. This is the extent that could be funny and still maintain the character, but I'm not going over that. Cause all it takes is that one video that goes out on TikTok or Instagram or YouTube. And people are like, the Conjure machine said, what? That's, oh, that's, 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 you know, and then, and boom, you're done. Same with you. Yeah. If you were at a club and all of a sudden you just went off and it was like, wait, what did Kale Moon just say? That can only damage your brand. So I think being a fair act is a great piece of advice because what at the core, what you're saying is know the market you're playing for. Know, mm-hmm. you know, the room that you're playing in for sure. The for other sure. big that is don't be lazy musicians. Come on, man. You're calling all of us out here. I feel attacked right now. Musicians, 
it, all entertainers, really, we need to recognize several things. 99.97% of us aren't very bright. No one needs to know what we think. There's not much evidence that we even do. Yeah, true. They definitely don't need to know our political opinions. Yeah. I, I have strong political opinions. They don't exactly line up with hardly anybody else in my line of work. I keep them to myself because if people, number one, have to ask what I believe, then clearly I'm not living it well enough. I don't need to bend people over the head with a Bible to tell them I'm a Christian. Right. They'll figure it out. Yep. And so don't talk about our politics. Number two, figure out what politics won't harm the fair because musicians, they talk so much. So fair bookers, if you're listening, don't hire people who vote against the fair. Say, Amen. Soapbox moment over. I put that, you listen, I suggested something like that once that, you know, the, a lot of our entertainers, a lot of us do put our politics out there. And a lot of times those politics are, uh animal humane society PETA, you know and their their animal activist trope and i'm like you guys you fair and i'm not saying like this doesn't need to be a mccarthy thing where they keep a little list of who's in and who's out but like if they're that overt about it you're gonna write them a check for however much money you're supporting the other side just maybe be aware of that pick do your show do you you know book whoever you want but that's why you know certain things that in years ago i learned that i had a friend of mine call and say hey you might have just lost a gig and i was like what are you talking about well you know it's a fair that that they had done previously and they said they called me and they said does he always talk about politics and this was probably oh god 2009 10 11 so early and it was like you know what we're all allowed to have our political voice but there's a time and place for it exactly once we are in the spotlight we don't have the prerogative to be normal and have conversations around the water cooler anymore. Right. We need to do our show and entertain everybody. And so I don't think we should be timid in, you know, just flip-flopping either side of the fence, but there's no need to shout from the rooftops, everything we believe. I agree. And for those that are, bold and i won't call any names don't do that don't do that uh, we don't edit this show i'm not editing anything out if you say the wrong thing hill <laughs> anybody who is let's say bold enough to constantly shout their beliefs i really wish fairs would watch that and say okay you can hold your own beliefs it is a, still a free country of course but we're not going to hire you if you campaign for the guy who is running for House of Representatives and wants to shut down all FFA and 4-H programs. Yes. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Interest. You know, and ultimately, from my perspective as an entertainer, and I'm sure it's yours the same way, you're not on that stage looking out going, okay, where's the Republicans? Where's the Democrats? Where's the Independent? I don't care who the hell presses Conjurer's button. I'm going to give you a, make a funny joke. I'm going to give you a fortune card that hopefully has something you read it and has means something, you know, meaningful to you. And I'm going to give you a moment. I'm going to, I'm, I am, I am one small part in an, in a fair, our job from the overall picture is we want to give our guests as many moments throughout the day, as many memories throughout the day 
that when they leave, they want to come back. The exactly. end. I don't care if you're, I don't care if if you're Republican. I don't care if you're Democrat. I don't care if you're pro Second Amendment, anti Second Amendment. I don't care what your deal is. I want to give you a moment. I want to. My part is to give you that one little. 15 or 30 or minute and 12 second moment that you go, that was really cool. I've never, that, that was a real guy. I thought it was a machine at first and they go, that was fun. All right. What are we going to go do next? I want to just be that next moment in your day. Exactly. So, well, listen, man, I, I really appreciate you coming on. It's a good conversation. I have a feeling we could go on for another hour, um, but we kind of got to wrap up. And so everyone who comes on the show, before we go, go through a little series of speed round questions. So I'm going to ask you six quick questions. You give me your best answer. Are you ready? Yes, sir. Question number one. This is the easy one. What's your favorite fair food? Favorite fair food, funnel cakes. Perfect. Number two, if a movie was made about your life, who would play you? Chris Pratt. Nice. Good answer. Without hesitation. Number three, best concert you ever attended? Ooh, Josh Turner. Number twice. four, yo, you've been to Josh Turner twice. Yeah, I get you. When you, I, I don't, I won't tell you how many times I've seen Boys <laughs> to Men. I won't tell you that. <laughs> Next question: You can have a conversation with one historical figure, living or past. Who is it? Only one. Speed James Mac. Who? James Madison. Same. My God, I finally found somebody who's with me on that. Excellent. Virtual, Virtual high five. Zoom high five right there. Uh, favorite country song? Favorite country song. Be Everything is Fine by Josh Turner. Of course, it's Josh Turner. Uh, <laughs> and last question. Who was your first celebrity crush? Don't first say celebrity. Josh Turner. <laughs> Selena Gomez. Selena Gomez. All right. Kale Moon, where can folks learn more about you? You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, eHarmony, Match.com, Farmers Only, Equestrian Singles, Gluten-Free Singles. That's by Kraft. You can find that at your local Kroger. Sorry. Sorry, I got carried away. Forget the last you one. You have practiced. You do that in your show, don't you? You've practiced I, that line a few times. And what's your what's your website? KaleMoon.com. KaleMoon.com. All right, man. To- personally, it's, it's a little complicated. Listen closely kale at kalemoon.com and that's kale with the c people kale, kale with the c kale with the c there's no birkenstocks around here it's kale with the c <laughs> exactly kale moon country music artist uh really good friend i appreciate you being on the show today thank you for coming on thank you for your time well, thank you for having me it's been a blast you've been listening to the fair game podcast fair game is a production of robert smith presents For more information, please visit robertsmithpresents.com.